Chekhov wrote only four plays that are still regularly performed, but much of Chekhov has been reset from his own Ukraine to rural Ireland, to the beaches of the Hamptons, to the hill country of West Virginia, uh, to a hippie Manhattan nightclub, to a plantation in the Deep South, to a dingy Manhattan, a dingy Moscow apartment, and starlit focused Los Angeles. Why not Shaw? While it's true that during his lifetime, he guarded his works from tampering by directors and editors, and that his estate, the public trustee, continues to jealously guard his copyrights, he was willing, even eager, to make creative changes to make them more meaningful for readers and audiences. He was a pioneer in putting extensive novelistic stage directions into his published plays, not uh, to tie the hands of directors, but to make his plays as readable as a novel. He altered his texts with new additions, not necessarily to protect copyrights, but to make them more cogent. Scenes he added to Pygmalion uh, for the screenplay are often now used on the stage. He rewrote Major Barbara, The Anxious Days Before World War II, uh, for the film, for a new generation, placing it in the interwar 1930s, rather than as a prophecy of an earlier world war. In it are motor cars and other evidences of the period. The play can be adapted to any age of anxiety. He wrote an alternative opening for Caesar and Cleopatra, and an alternative ending for the millionaires. His The Philanderer has now been performed with the ending he rewrote and the ending he discarded. He wrote a charming new prologue for The Devil's Disciple that was never used in the film version, but that would be delightful and informative if put into a new production. His political play, Geneva, like the Depression-era equivalents labeled living newspapers across the Atlantic, needed regular updating so the characters could keep pace with events. Why not now? Shaw has given us creative opportunities by principle and by practice. Examples since Shaw abound. A review of the 2003 production of the great and much underrated John Bill's Other Island refers with some awe to the actor uh, Gerald MacArthur playing Larry Doyle and to his characterization as a, quote, disturbing creation, haggard, cynical, self-hating. MacArthur drags up words from deep within himself like leaves from a barren well. It is extraordinary but strangely apt to hear this parched, Becketing, that is Samuel Beckett-like delivery, applied to so relentlessly fluent a dramatist as Bernard Shaw. None of the words were changed, but the actor and director recognized in the play the quality of mysticism usually evoked only by the unforgettable unfrock priest, Father Keegan. Recently, too, uh, Mrs. Warren's Profession was performed in Boston. A tired old play, it was written in 1893 and set in period, but a reviewer of the new production recalled that the play could not be performed legally in England until 1925. The reason, I'm quoting, was simply that its subject matter was too scandalous, or perhaps its truth was too hard to face. In a society where women are undervalued and underpaid for their honest efforts, other less traditional career choices beckon. Seems pretty modern to me, said the critic. The critic was a woman, perhaps more sensitive to this issue than I am. To me, Mrs. Warren's career choice, whether we or she liked it or not, was very traditional. Nevertheless, she goes on, 
The modern relevance of this Victorian tale appears to be the focus of the production. Using period furniture and costumes reminds the audience, and I'm quoting from her, that this is a tale from another era. Yet by utilizing space configuration of this furniture, uh, sparse configuration of this furniture rather than Victorian opulence, gives the whole production a modern edge. Acting styles, too, bridge the two worlds. Their demeanor, too, is modern. Ultimately, the play is more about the relationship between mother and daughter than it is about prostitution. It's about control and disaffection. Further, she adds, Shaw doesn't take sides. He just tells us their story. Without altering a word, the production moved this 19th century play into the 21st century, bringing it into the here and now. Not every Shavian script lends itself to such updating merely by imaginative production, but here's a lesson in the possibilities. It's not Shaw, but this strategy can also be seen in the 2004 New York production of uh, Fiddler on the Roof, which its director says, the goal here is not to recreate for pure nostalgic value, but to put it into the present tense. We wanted to give today's audiences the same feeling of discovering a new show that people had back then, not of just dusting off a museum piece. You can't do a slavish imitation and expect it to come out alive. He took his blue pencil to the dialogue, trimming some lines, had a more abstract set created and rethought the staging. But the production could not overcome nostalgia, and it's had a bad press. The concept was good, but not every play is good for the concept. And we have to keep that in mind, too, in rethinking Shaw. In Montreal, Pygmalion has been performed in a French translation, uh, in a French-Canadian setting, with Eliza speaking a rural French, hardly intelligible in a sophisticated <coughs> urban elite emerging from the opera in the opening scene. The geographical change required changing names of characters and places. Listen, Grove or Hoxton would be meaningless to people in Montreal. In Singapore, Eliza spoke Singlish, a melange of English and Hokkien Chinese, a lower dialect than received Mandarin. There is no end to the possibilities, yet the ideas are unchanged and still work. We have seen productions on film and on stage of treatments closely exploiting Pygmalion as inspiration without crediting Shaw. The ancient among us will remember the delightful satire of post-war Washington born yesterday with Judy Holliday as the Eliza parallel or Julie Walters and Educating Rita with Michael Caine as the film's Shaw He called his plays parables. The encounter and its unpredictable consequences uh, can reutilize Eliza and Higgins and Pickering in other Londons and in other cultures. Plays and films and novels galore have also exploited the situations and themes of Shaw's domestic sitcom of 1894, Candida. James Barry first did it, What Every Woman Knows. And a familiar American equivalent was Robert Anderson's 1953 Tea and Sympathy. There's no reason why directors couldn't remake Candida itself in another place and time with little creative alteration necessary. It's already been done, and some of you have seen such updatings. As long as the basic situation remains relevant, Shaw is relevant. As for Shaw's relevancy, his history plays, like Shakespeare's, are both the problem and the solution. We have seen almost every play of Shakespeare's creatively, if not always successfully, restaged. 
Christopher Newton at the Shaw Festival in Canada opened Shaw's Caesar and Cleopatra as if it took place in Egypt during one of Queen Victoria's little colonial wars. Then he went back to the Roman times. On another occasion, the festival set the play amid the ludicrous Roman backgrounds of Sir Lawrence on Academy's immensely successful late Victorian paintings and used the example of the paintings. These restagings changed little in the plays and yet gave them an excitement beyond archaeology. Can you imagine now a Caesar and Cleopatra in a contemporary Middle East? We're still imposing the equivalent of Rome on alien cultures with much the same tensions and similar results. One can bring a new liveliness to the lines and have them speak to our time with setting and costume changes. Just yesterday on a plane uh, coming here, I was reading the New York Times um, review of a new metropolitan uh, opera production of uh, Richard Strauss's and Oscar Wilde's Salome. Uh, and uh, I have it here. And it speaks of Salome being restaged in modern times and in modern uh, costume. And it is set not in Herod's palace, but in a palatial uh, modern Middle Eastern hotel. And it works very well, apparently. It was sensationally received. I won't go into the Dance of the Seven Veils, how that was done, uh, because we're short in time. But in any case, you can see what can be done uh, with creative rethinking, creative restaging. Uh, Show us too, too True to be Good, uh, set in an uh, unidentified uh, Middle Eastern or East African country after an unnamed war that uses aircraft, again might be a candidate for historicizing imaginatively. But most of Shaw's history plays require only a vivacity that is lacking if they're treated solemnly like a history text. I recall a production of Man and Superman, uh, written 1901 to 1903, in which, which Act Two begins exactly as Shaw's stage directions indicate. I'll read them to you. On the carriage drive in the park of a country house near Richmond, an open touring car has broken down. John Tanner, standing in the drive with his back to us, uh, could get an unobstructed view of the house on his left if he were not more interested in a pair of supine legs in dunkery overalls which protrude from beneath the machine. The legs belong to Henry Straker, uh, who drives the vehicle. However, in the scene, as I saw it in that production, the motor car was an open jeep. Nothing else, not a word, was changed. The jeep was used only because for insurance reasons, the director could not put a vintage vehicle on the stage, and a mock-up would have been too expensive to be realistic. However, the new prop added a symbolic and serendipitous significance to the staging. It worked. We might also go backward in time. Shaw took his St. Joan almost directly from the medieval transcripts of her trial, using her dialogue in the English translation of the French translation of the Latin of the original, which translated Joan from the rude country French which he actually spoke. One can visualize a production with values adapted from the medieval painters whom Shaw actually refers to in the play, like Fouquet. Or we could go forward into our own time with a stark setting emphasizing her abandonment and loneliness. The epilogue of St. Joan is a dream, quite literally, and it could be staged to evoke that non-realism. Many Shaw plays have dream settings, almost never realized, from Arms of the Man to Simpleton of the Unexpected Isles. These opportunities are seldom exploited. 
One superb Canadian production of Simpleton used Beatles songs to suggest its dreamlike unreality. Another used Shaw's clear suggestions of both Dream and Lewis Carroll to open Heartbreak House as if it were Alice in Wonderland's entry through the looking glass. It was strikingly successful. Don Juan and Hell was specifically a dream, although rarely played in dreamlike fashion. Obviously, there are imaginative possibilities in the staging of Shaw that he suggested himself if we do a thorough job of rereading what he wrote. Other Shaw histories before and after Caesar offer less freedom for on-stage interpretation. What does one do with the man of destiny, or the devil's disciple, or even arms of the man, which itself may be a dream play? Perhaps arms of the man could now evoke a later Balkans than the one that, than the war between Serbia and Bulgaria in the mid-1880s. When Shaw began writing the play, he had no war or geography in mind. Only the psychological background of third world countries and peasants aspiring to be bourgeois and setting false heroic attitudes against the anti-heroic realities of actual experience in an anti-romantic but seemingly romantic comedy. He consulted friends to find a suitable war. The play was nearly finished, he wrote, before I had settled on the locality. I wanted war as a background, so I went about among my friends and I asked if they knew of any wars. They told me that, uh, of several, from the Trojan to the Franco-German. At last, Sidney Webb told me of this Serbo-Bulgarian war, which was the very thing. Why not then, with Shaw's confessed example, change names and places in, as he did in his manuscript and put arms of the man in a different war? Shaw's beginning scenario for The Devil's Disciple shows that again he began with a dramatic concept to which he gave an historical context. His three major characters are called A, B, and Z, to each of which, or whom, he gives personality traits. And his setting is described as the place, the place on the border during warfare. He then describes the likely plot and even suggests to himself an alternative ending. 